When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. I think we should tell the story about the second time we got together. Not the first? You like telling that story. I think we're going to leave that for another time because we have a lot of ground to cover today. I asked him to kiss me in front of his then-girlfriend. He'll probably tell you that later anyway. Not my best move, but maybe my best move ever. I had no idea what hit me. I do think your best move ever was the second time, though. The time when we were a little older and a little wiser. I was 24. I was 25. I'd moved to Flagstaff, Arizona, and... I was cobbling together the odd writing gigs, and you called pretty much right out of the blue. You'd left your boyfriend, you were out climbing, and you were going to move to Telluride, and Flagstaff was on the way. And you you asked, like, could I come visit? I opened the door, and you're standing there, and I feel like there was a snow flurry behind you, and you just walked into my life like you completely belonged. And we had this incredible week of climbing and hanging out and it just all made sense and at the end of it I told you I thought I should stay and I was like no because it also didn't make sense not one bit like one week earlier I'd been a lonely dirtbag climber who was sending out resumes willing to move for work because I had zero attachments I'd laid out this path in my mind of a vision of what my life would look like And you completely exploded that. And it was wonderful, but it was just really different. And now it's a week later, and I'm in love with you. And in that moment, my head was spinning, and I'm pretty sure, like, I knew then that I was going to ask you to marry me at some point. And I just didn't think I'd be there at that stage. And I remember remember asking you, what did I ask you? You asked, what if you moved to Telluride and we date remotely? And I thought about it, but we'd already kind of tried that. And I just figured I'm going to move here and we'll figure it out or we won't be together. That was such a boss move. You said yes. Yeah. And even though I said yes, I also like simultaneously had this overwhelming feeling that I was making this terrible decision, which is 
not the case at all because it was clearly a good decision. But it felt super overwhelming. My head was spinning. We had this conversation, and I think I immediately had to go for like a long run just because it didn't make sense. Yet it made perfect sense. And when you think about it, that's love in a nutshell. Today, producer Cordelia Zars has a story for you about a woman named Sarah and a guy named Alan. It all starts in a burrito shop in Abu Dhabi. I'm Fitz. I'm Becca. Who's going to say it? Both of us. Ready? You're, You're listening, listening to, to the, the Dirtbag Dirt Diaries. On a summer day in August 2017, Alan Shidley walked into a Mexican restaurant in Abu Dhabi to order a burrito. I saw Alan and was like, oh, he's kind of cute. But I'm like, you know what? Nope. With your luck, I mean, he's holding a book, so it means he can read. And he's well-dressed. <laughs> so chances are he's either a psycho or he's gay. <laughs> you know, or, So just don't even bother trying to speak with him. This is Sarah Al-Awadi, and as you'll hear from our interview, she's quick to laugh. Sarah was about to move from Abu Dhabi to Dubai, so she figured, why waste her time? I saw her once I entered the burrito <laughs> line, and I positioned myself in front of my two friends, and I always carry a book with me, not because I'm smart, but because it makes me look smart, and that's what my grandpa told me to do. So I put my book on the counter knowing she would look at it, and she looked over at it, and that's kind of like how I got within proximity for her to start the conversation. I only had a week left in the UAE before I moved to Iraq, and Sara is a much better person than I'll ever be, uh, and I knew that from first sight. And I was like, I got nothing to lose. This woman's much better than I'll ever be. Uh, I'm gonna just try and talk to her. Literally, I wasn't going to speak with him, except the fire alarm went off. I grew up in a home that had roughly around 20 acres, and so I was always outside, playing in the woods, building mountain biking trails, playing in the creeks, playing in the pond. Alan's from Metamora in central Illinois. Population 4,000, predominantly white and Catholic. The backyard opened up into giant grain fields, forests, and the family pond. He had two older siblings and about 50 cousins, and they spent their childhood exploring together outside. My mom would, when she wouldn't want me in the house, she would just lock the door and I had to be outside all afternoon. By the time Alan got his driver's license, he and his friends had caught the climbing bug. On weekends, they'd power out the long drives to Wisconsin's Devil's Lake, Horseshoe Canyon in Arkansas, and Illinois' Holy Boulders. While it's got some gems, the Midwest isn't overflowing with climbing destinations. Alan started poking around closer to home. You have to go drive around every little dirt road and bushwhack, go down in every little valley to find things. 
and that really instilled within me wherever I'm at, try and find that little crag that is going to give people an incentive to go out and give back to their communities. Alan's family emphasized education. His grandfather passed along a love for reading, so when he wasn't climbing, Alan usually had his nose in a book. When he started college, Alan realized he wanted to teach. He earned dual master's degrees in international educational development from Columbia and Oxford, and then set his horizons on teaching abroad. I just always had that sense of adventure and didn't really have anywhere to practice it or to explore that. Sarah grew up in a Muslim family in Dubai. They view out her back door, shops, warehouses, and traffic. She and her six siblings played on the beach some growing up, but apart from that, they didn't spend a whole lot of time in nature. Occasionally, Sarah would see people climbing on TV, scaling big walls in beautiful places, and she wished she could do that someday. I didn't even realize we had mountain ranges. You know, I figured a gym is the maximum extent of what I could do. Sarah's grandfather had moved to the UAE from Iran and had risen out of poverty by studying hard. So Sarah's family prioritized academics, too. Her sights set on becoming a lawyer, Sarah moved to the UK for law school in 2007. When she arrived, she saw they had a climbing club. Immediately I joined it. But being in the UK, the as you can imagine, the weather is not always great. So <laughs> my experience was only climbing indoors with them. After law school, Sara moved back to the UAE to begin her career as a lawyer in Abu Dhabi, and she was determined not to lose her connection to climbing. One of the things I kept telling people was, whatever job I get, I'm going to make sure that every morning before going to the office, I'm going to go to a climbing gym. Okay, back to the burrito shop. I asked her if she heard the fire alarm and the reason why I asked it, because I actually had hearing problems going up. So I'm, I'm petrified of losing my hearing all the time. And so whenever I hear like a high ringing noise, I'm afraid I'm losing my hearing officially. And so it was going off and I looked at it. I was like, do you hear that? And of course, as Sara is, she goes, no, I don't hear that. And then so I had a moment of petrified fear that I was losing my hearing. And she looked back and she goes, no, yeah, there's an alarm going off. They laughed and spoke for a few minutes after the alarm stopped. Sarah asked about his book. They asked about each other's jobs. She's a lawyer. He's a professor. I'd mentioned him interested in climbing and his eyes like lit up. He's like, wait, what? <laughs> and then he just asked if I'd want to go to dinner the next day. So we went to dinner and... And that's when about two hours in, really, really great conversation. And he goes, Sarah, I'm sorry, I have to tell you something. And I was like, oh, God, the other shoe is going to drop. This is it. <laughs> and, and he's like, so I moved to Iraq in seven days. The American University of Iraq had hired Alan to be the director of student services. He's like, but I really like you. So if this date goes well... And you really like me after the seven days, I will pay for you to fly over to see me in Iraq. But if you still like me after Iraq, then I would like to invite you to my best friend's wedding in about two months' time in Illinois. And I'll pay for your flight. I just, I think you'd absolutely love it. And <laughs> I was just like so taken aback by like his honesty and like, so I was like, all right. The date went well. 
So in a few weeks, as promised, Alan flew Sarah from Dubai to Iraq. So I just told my parents, I'm like, hey, I'm going to Iraq. I will see you later. (laughs) Suffice to say, they weren't very happy. Sarah flew to Suleimani, where Alan was living. Having just met, they both felt nervous to travel together. But they spent the better part of a week exploring the cities of Erbil, Suleimani, and the mountain ranges between the two. It was the first time they'd been outdoors together. And despite growing up in very different parts of the world, they shared a sense of reverence for the natural world. Our backgrounds, if you look at on the surface, you're like, there's no way these two people could ever really mesh well together. But when you start peeling back the layers of that onion and getting at the core of who we are and our values and our family narratives, we started realizing that, wow, there's something really unique here and that two people from across the world can find each other and fall stupidly in love with each other, but also very trusting of one another and very understanding of one another. When we met was at the right time, and we already came in both with a good amount of emotional intelligence and cultural intelligence that we were able to just sit down and be like, hey, there's something good here. Sara came to visit Alan in Iraq one more time in the following months, and their relationship deepened. Before they were slated to fly to Illinois for Alan's friend's wedding, Sara introduced him to her family in Dubai. How that introduction went after the break. Support for the diaries comes from Ketone IQ. As I've been getting more and more into longer runs and bike rides, I found myself fighting with my mind. As the miles extend, I feel like my reactions get slower and I make more mistakes, like tripping or falling or just kind of feeling slightly out of sync descending on the bike. On those big days, I've been using Ketone IQ to help my brain keep fueled and sharp. I want to have fun, not bonk. Here's the science. Ketones already exist in your body. When you push up against your boundaries, your body begins to convert stored fat into ketones, which your brain prefers consuming. With Ketone IQ, I feed my brain so my muscles can use the glucose I get from whatever else I eat on the trail. Riders of the Tour de France have been taking the same approach. I am definitely not as fast, but I can apply the same thinking. Give it a try. You save 30% off your first subscription order at ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. Once again, that's ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. The link is in the show notes. Please check it out. At first, Alan was a tough sell. Sara's family was Muslim, relatively conservative, and had expected her to marry someone from her own culture, not date a blonde guy from rural Illinois. But as they peppered him with questions about his upbringing and his beliefs, they realized that they weren't so different after all. They were both adventurous, smart, empathetic. When Sara's father asked Alan what his intentions with his daughter were, Alan didn't waste any time. He told him he wanted to marry her. Sara stood nearby, with happy tears in her eyes. Soon after, Sara and Alan packed their bags and headed to Illinois for the friend's wedding. Alan used the drive from the airport to his home to prepare Sara to meet his family. I was probably about two hours into like an intensive, like asking all these questions. Oh and God. these are... You know, intense questions that you should ask your potential partner. And but not one after the other. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like rapid fire of Alan Shidley for a moment. <laughs> and Sarah just like looks at me and she goes, what more do you want from me? 
and she has tears in her eyes, and her hand is on the door handle, and she's about ready to roll out of the car. And that's when I had to explain to her. I was like, look, I'm going to tell my parents I want to marry you. I've only known you for about a month or two now. And they're going to ask all these questions. And I want to be able to look at them in the eye and honestly say, yes, we've discussed that. When they arrived in Metamora and Alan introduced Sara to his family, he told his family she was the woman he wanted to marry. A bit shocked, they warned him against rushing into something too soon. But after a few days together, Alan's parents realized perhaps they knew what they were doing after all. They watched the happy couple explore the woods, walk through the fields, and leap together into the family pond. They asked her about her family, about Dubai, about Islam, and found more in common than they thought they would. We grew up on different side of the world, different cultures, d- different narratives. But the fact that like both of our dads were engineers, the family cultures are what were similar. So I think like two people would look at it and be like, well, here's this dude growing up like in an all-white Catholic community in rural Illinois. And then here's this woman growing up in this major global uh, cosmopolitan hub of Dubai, and she's Muslim and she's Arab. There can't be any similarities, but when you start looking at our families, uh, the narratives become really similar. Sara loved seeing where Alan grew up and felt welcomed by his family. Alan wanted to show Sara one of his favorite climbing spots, Jackson Falls, with its softly trickling falls and boulders covered with cool green moss. I wanted to see how Sara would react to seeing some of these more rural landscapes because that's so important to me that my identity as a rural American plays a a huge factor into what I do, but also then getting to expose her to some of these climbing scenes and climbing there together. It was amazing. Just, I'd never climbed outside, so it was a whole new experience. But besides the physical aspect of bouldering and just falling in love with it, I really appreciated being able to drive to these little towns and go to these little diners, it made me want to take care of this beauty outdoors so much more because I saw the people that lived around it. And even though it's not my home, it really made me have a special appreciation for wanting to preserve it. And I was so excited to want to go outdoors in my country and to see if I could develop that same level of ownership, if I could find that same beauty. And that's where we really formed this partnership of climbing together that we then took globally as we moved back to Dubai. After dating for four months, Alan proposed to Sara. Sara said yes. They both figured, when you know, you know. In December of 2017, Alan and Sarah were married at a courthouse in Illinois and had a small ceremony at Alan's parents' home. When Alan finished his job in Iraq the following spring, he moved back to Dubai to join Sarah. They had a second wedding celebration in Dubai to include Sarah's family and then launched into their first project as a married couple, discovering new places to boulder outside the city. I started asking, you know, just locals, hey, where have you seen big tall cliffs? Where have you seen boulders? 
And once I married Sara, that kind of just exploded and we just started going out and finding all these great little crags and boulder fields. We'd go out on the weekends super early uh, just to beat the heat. And initially it started out really, it was just this very fun outdoor activity where we can go find these really cool boulders and you just find these new lines on them. Alan and Sara poured over Google Maps. They asked local farmers about boulders in the area got in their car, and scouted. Some climbers had already established routes and documented climbs on sites like Mountain Project. But because the climbing community in Dubai is largely expat, transient, and pretty small, the routes didn't receive a whole lot of traffic. Holds broke. Sarah and Alan decided they would just put up their own routes in the area. Having such easy access to nature gave Alan, at such a young age, the knowledge and the empowerment, really, that here's how to go explore. It's not this foreign, scary thing. If you see something you're curious about, it's easy. Maybe you'll get lost once, you know, you'll find your way back. But I think I didn't really have that at all. So even growing up, even though there was this sense of adventure and I wanted to explore, I didn't really know how to. And that's why I was so happy when when we decided we were going to start exploring the mountain ranges of the UAE because I was around someone that was so excited to go explore. And there was never this question of getting nervous about the logistics or the, you know, there, there was no barriers. It looks like a tough landscape when you're driving into it. You're driving through desert and then all of a sudden you're in these, they're called the Hodger Mountains and they're these really rough, mountains and you spend a day out in that environment and it feels like I've spent, you know, a week climbing out in Yosemite, just like how beat down you get. And the rock is coarse. It takes a lot of limestone, a lot of sandstone. Yeah, it takes a lot of love to get these holds down to where traffic could be on them. You're getting really good polished holds that aren't going to cut your hands a lot of the time. So you have to be willing just to put some love into those boulders and make sure you clear the landing zones because you can get some bad landing zones because there's just the smaller boulders underneath and always having an attentive spotter because if you're falling, it's, it's usually on hard rock. It's not on, you know, sandy beaches. Most of the spots Sarah and Allen climb on is publicly owned land, but some border or cross into local farmland. They always ask permission from the farmers to climb near their land, keeping their groups small. They know that outdoor climbing in UAE isn't typical. Well, when we go climbing, it's always really funny because we'll see the farmers and, I mean, I'll just be in normal climbing stuff. I don't wear a headscarf or, I mean, I'm just in jeans and like a t-shirt, but I'll say salam to them and they'll get really shocked. First, because somebody who looks like an outsider is speaking to them. And then second, that I'm speaking Arabic to them. <laughs> so they'll immediately rush over. And often, even with their children, you know, it's like, oh, what are you guys doing? Like, and they'll see the colorful crash pads we have. And, you know, they're all covered in chalk. You know, and I'll tell them I'm Emirati. And they're, the look on their face is amazing because they're so shocked. But they have a big smile on, too. And they're like, oh, you know, I've never seen an Arab woman out climbing. This is really nice. As Sarah and Alan developed the climbing scene outside Dubai, they learned how to tap into the culture and history of their environment. One time when they were out looking for boulders, an Emirati family camped near one of the climbing spots came to share some of their picnic. 
this little girl comes up and has brought us this massive plate of like rice and fish. And, you know, I just like talk to her in Arabic. I'm like, no, no, you know, like, thank you so much. Like, like I didn't get it. Like, you know, are, are they giving us food? Like, And it was so sweet. Her dad came rushing over and he's like, no, no, please. This is an area my family have been coming to for years. And you're Emirati, like, and you're showing these people like our land. We will not accept you not taking this. And so we just sat on the floor with them. Um, I showed Alan and like the few people that were with us sort of how traditionally you'd eat rice and fish with your hands and like this way to do it where you don't make a mess everywhere. But yeah, so we just sat, ate this whole thing (laughs) with them, with this guy and his daughter as well. And then, you know, I mean, about an hour or so later, once we could climb again, we'd sort of showed his son how to boulder, like put our shoes back on and like did a few problems and was cute. He like tried it. He like tried climbing a little. It was all over in about three hours. But I know that that kid next week is probably going to come back and going to try to climb more things. As a Muslim woman, Sarah also feels that climbing plays an important role in empowering women in her culture. It's not that your family is going to say, no, don't go climbing. But with the narrative that you're raised in, which is being a little bit more conservative, not going out to these you know, mountains by yourself, because of things like that, where I feel like there's this underlying discouragement from being outdoors and going climbing. And as you get older, it's seen a little bit like, oh, wait, you want to go out climbing? Like, that's not very ladylike. It's not very respectable that you're going to be out with all these guys, you know, just doing this climbing. Like, what are you doing? And I just felt like there's not enough women that are saying, hey, we have beautiful mountains here. We have beautiful terrain. Come out and climb. It's a great space to be in. So I think there's room for growing. I think it's just shedding a little bit of light on it, which might increase the amount of women that feel comfortable to come out. As they climbed, they cheered each other on, spotted each other's falls. They watched each other get frustrated. They watched each other fail. When they fell off, they reminded each other to pause, take a deep breath, and try again. Sarah would teach Alan words in Arabic, like canyon, or goats, which paid frequent visits from nearby farms, and she'd tell him stories about her ancestors who knew this land years ago. As her partner, that's something I've really grown to love more and more about her, is, and how I've learned more about my wife is seeing her in these spaces that are part of her country and part of her history and part of her culture, and her explaining it to people has really added a huge depth to the climbing there for me is that it's just not about going out and establishing new problems and cleaning boulders and breaking holds. It's really while I'm learning about my wife's history, her people's history, her people's culture while doing this. Certain climbs would remind Alan of a pitch in Illinois, and he'd tell a story about his childhood or the culture surrounding Midwest climbing. I think sometimes that's what people forget, that it's okay to come from a different culture. You don't need to all try to be the same. And Alan and I have a lot in common, but the way we were raised is 
very different. And I don't think if I didn't make the time to get to know where he was from, that we wouldn't be able to have the connection that we do. After two years of exploring, Sara and Alan have discovered roughly 200 new boulders outside Dubai and have established 120 problems ranging from V0 to V12. They've started to bring their friends on board, expats and Emiratis, who enjoy bouldering too. Alan and Sara are working on publishing a guidebook as a way to give back to the place that has given them so much. Along with maps and climbing guides, their book will narrate some of the culture and history of the region. And that can on not just wider climbing knowledge, but also cultural knowledge of the area. How do you feel like your relationship, and I guess your relationship through climbing, made each of you develop individually in ways you might not have alone? Without our relationship existing, I would have probably just been another gear in the bigger machine of, hey, let's just go out, let's just climb, let's use this spot for ourselves and then let's be done for the day. Whereas now, when I do these things, I think, well, it'd be really cool to hold a physical guidebook in our hand showing what we've done. And also, you know, 20, 30 years, we go back to the UAE and we walk along these boulder fields. Sara can tell our children not only the stories of her ancestors and her culture, but then there's also even the element of your father and I walked up to these boulders, we climbed these boulders, we cleaned these boulders. We had to shoo away the goats so they don't eat our food here. (laughs) Or the crash pads. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely now a very deeper element for myself of climbing in the UAE because of SARS partnership. And with me, I think I wouldn't have ever been able to do it because I just wouldn't know how to. I, I mean, I wouldn't have known how to, you know, go out and find these outdoor boulder fields. I would have taken on climbing and I think gotten really into it by climbing in gyms. The more we started exploring these boulder fields, the more it became this bigger thing where I really started to get the sense of of pride and it really made me think a lot about my culture. And along with developing as individuals, of course... Climbing has also brought them together. I know everything about Sara. She knows everything about me, the good, the bad, the ugly, the things I don't like to talk about, why I do what I do, and I know all that about her. We both came in willing to commit 100% from the start. Credits. Credits are what you record at the end of a Dirtbag Diaries episode, so we're going to do those right now. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Guess who's sick from school? Me. <laughs> Thank you, Alan and Sara, for sharing your story. Music today from Kai Engel, Ken Christensen, Bradley Carter, and Brendan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artists. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Heavy Breathing by Wiley Cahal. This episode was produced by Cordelia Zars, Becca Call, and me, Fitz Call. You have been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.